Fuck it! We're doing it live! It's the Going Off Podcast with Rap Critic and Muse, and boy oh boy. Oh, you boys did some hot water. For a man who, as long as I've been on YouTube, I've been making inaccurate, way off the mark projections and predictions. I was wrong about Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, and Kesha not having a career after a year. And that's just the that's just the tip of the iceberg. I could list for days, but last week on this very podcast with our boy Rav, we were talking about Bill O'Reilly, be it briefly, and I commented about his response to the man being drugged off the United airplane when Bill O'Reilly said, "Should I be laughing?" or um, "I shouldn't be laughing at this, should I?" and I said, "No, you shouldn't be working. You shouldn't be broadcasting." And look it. Wait, Bill O'Reilly said that? Why is a guy getting the crap beaten out of him for no reason? Why is that funny? Like, if it was like, oh, you know, uh, we have video of him punching someone in the face, and then he gets punched later on. Oh, that's irony. But, huh, a guy got beaten up for minding his business and trying to be a doctor getting to a patient a couple of states away. Ha 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 ha! Like, why is that funny? Yeah, I think I think that might be... And I'm way off the mark here, but that's just Bill playing devil's advocate because he might have known that he didn't have much time left. (laughs) Like, this was already after a lot of people, like 13 people came forward, and uh, he had that big settlement. And so, like, at this point, he's just like, you know what? I I get off on people suffering. I I I just don't care about uh, human life. Like, he's just saying, fuck it. (laughs) He has a huge case of senioritis. He's looking at that clock. He knows he only has five minutes left in the, in the last day of the school year before graduation, and he's just saying, fuck it. <laughs> Running out the clock. So, only a couple hours ago, I saw, uh, I think it was Joseph A. Bank uh, mm-hmm. pulled their sponsorship, and apparently that was the uh, that was the last straw. Yep. And uh, Fox News fucking canned his ass after way... Too fucking long. Yeah, and let's be absolutely clear about this. Do not give Fox credit for being like, oh man, the good guys here, you know, finally calling enough enough. No, they've known about this shit for years. They've known about all of the sexual harassment and all this bullshit for years upon years upon years and have been doing all they can to keep it from people. But we're in the internet age now where people can find out about this shit. So shit ain't so sweet anymore. You know what I mean? The only reason they're doing this is to save face, and if they could possibly avoid this at all costs, he would still have a job getting paid and doing everything. Now, and and let's not even act like, oh man, he got his come up, it's I'm glad he finally learned. He didn't learn shit. All he's gonna do is take the millions of dollars that he still has and either go live comfortably somewhere, because he was probably about to t- retire in a couple of months anyway, because he old as fuck. Let's not act like, oh, we learned our lesson. No, they didn't. <laughs> No, yeah, it's absolutely about money, and if I could even equate it to what happened here recently, I don't think we even talked about this when it happened, but with the uh, with the so-called uh, quote-unquote bullshit HB2 repeal, um, it only happened because uh, the NCAA was having their schedule projected for the next five years, and it said, hey, if HB2 isn't repealed, you're not fucking getting shit scheduled in... North Carolina for the next five fucking years, and that's gonna cripple. You know, it's, it's gonna be really bad news. So finally, they were they were willing to compromise a little, not even a full repeal, but just enough 
that the NCAA that never cared about transgender rights in the first place either, it was all about money and how it made them look, said, oh, it was repealed? At least that's what we know all the headlines are going to say? That's good enough for us. All right. No, see, uh, look, the only way a company will ever do the right thing is if it's financially in their interest to do so. You know, all the all this bullshit you see about, like, companies and, and snack companies going like, oh, we, we have healthier options. We have health this and health that and da 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 if you would still eat that bullshit, they would serve it to you on a silver platter. There was no way they would be like, nah, but we can't serve that because it's going to be dangerous. No, it's, oh crap, the public knows that it's dangerous. Oh, look at these health options that we have. You know what I mean? It's really amazing. Yeah, because like a company will more than likely do that shit response to a, um, to a boycott or a public outcry. But then you got places like Flint that everybody knows what the fuck's going on there. Like, it's common knowledge. There isn't anyone who's defending the poisoning (laughs) of the people of Flint at this point. But for some fucking reason, it took this goddamn long for them to get any sort of money. And I'm sure it won't be enough to undo the the damage done as, well, it's definitely not going to be enough to undo the damage, but at least fix the pipes or replace the pipes. But you're still going to have tons of people and children that were fucking poisoned by lead in the water. Yeah, like their lives are already screwed. Oh, absolutely. That has, they've been drinking that lead for at least a year now. And, that, and that's just Flint. We've been hearing stories throughout the country. We've had a story here in North Carolina about that shit. I forget exactly where, but I think it wasn't too far away. It might even... It was in Gastonia. Yeah, where, I, where I'm fucking living. There's a story about polluted water. So this shit's happening all over the place. But when you hear shit about all the EPA and talk about the regulations on air and water, yeah, because it's a fucking government organization. That's a little trickier to get them to budge. If it was just a fucking company with, you know, um, a public image and a brand at risk, then yeah, they might be a little bit easier to sway. I think that should inform people, though, right? Like, it shouldn't make you say, like, oh... Man, yeah, the only reason they're doing it is because of money. Exactly, and that's what needs to inspire you to remember that these corporations only care about money, so make it necessary for them to do the right thing. Another topical example could be the uh, could be the pipeline. Um, it was it was being funded by banks like Wells Fargo and all that. Major companies were pulling their resources and saying, no, we're not going to fund this shit anymore, and they were losing billions and billions and billions of dollars. They're still going to go through with it, but... If more cities knew about it earlier and the news reported on it earlier and made the people aware of it sooner, the outcry would have amounted, there would have been enough of a pushback, and they probably would have been able to undo it and say, no, we're not going to fucking do it. Because the only person at that point who would have been for it and benefited from it was Trump. But if nobody else is willing to do it, they'd be like, well, good luck. Fucking tax tax the American people for this shit that nobody wants and good luck getting reelected. Yeah, and and so basically my thing is to say is don't give any company any credit. Just give you, the people, the credit for being able to sway people to do the right thing. It doesn't take a lot, man. Just fucking letters, phone calls. Yeah, exactly. Unless a company, like, uh, the CEOs of a company go like, no, we're not going to pollute this river anymore. We're going to come forward with this information of our own accord. Unless that happens, no company can be 100% trust. You know what I mean? There's never been a scandal that's been like, us, the company, are coming to you before the news media does. No. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) 
if that starts happening, then I, then I'll be like, you know what? Hey, these guys are all right. But nah. Yeah, there's never been that fucking Soylent Green moment of, like, the person just running into the street, <laughs> just trying to let everybody know. You know, the fucking company wasn't about to let people know. You're gonna have to wait for some motherfucker running into the street screaming about it. McDonald's is people! <laughs> the Going Off Podcast, brought to you by McDonald's. Mm, I'm loving it. <laughs> no, we're not, really. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's something you can't joke about. Like, I know they would never hear it. Because people might think that. Because doesn't that happen, right? People go like, yo, go to Crunchyroll and watch an anime or something like that? I don't know. Yep. Mm -hmm. I I feel like if they caught wind that we were jokingly saying that they were a sponsor, (laughs) that we'd get hit with a lawsuit. But That clown would be coming for us, man. Oh, absolutely. That that ain't nothing sweet about that clown. (laughs) Ronald, Grimace, Early Bird, the Fry Guys. I don't know. Anyone remember them? They'd be coming for our ass. The discontinued Mayor McCheese. The purple fucking McNugget thing. It's Grimace. Oh. <laughs> he, who originally his gimmick Hamburglar. was. The Hamburglar. I forgot about him. And they even gave him a redesign that didn't work. <laughs> they they tried to make him look like a, like a trendy, in-shape, hipstery looking dude. And it didn't catch on with anybody. Nobody saw through that shit. The the Grimace's original gimmick was that he was a four-armed monster that stole milkshakes. What? Why? I don't know, because Ronald needs more, like, enemies. He needs, I, a, he I needs a villain? Yeah, I, I, I never got that. Where it's like, th- that's the fucking narrative. You got Ronald McDonald and you got the Hamburglar. You got um Captain Crunch and the Soggies. Dominoes and the Noid. Like, there's always some type of adversary to overcome. Lucky Charms. Yeah, Lucky Charms, Leprechaun, and the kids. They're always the trying kids. to catch him. Tricks. Uh, tricks and the, and the kids. Yeah. It's always like, this stuff is so good. You would fucking steal from a, a magical creature in order to get it. Fucking <laughs> uh, Barney always stealing the uh, pebbles from Fred. Yeah. Cookie Crisp. The, yeah, the Cookie Crisp, the fucking constable, uh, fucking always stopping the uh, that old timey burglar and his burglar dog. Yeah, it's just so weird that like it just caught on. I guess that the thing that kids like to see conflict. Yeah, it's just like things being chased for <laughs> for a fucking cereal. The only one that doesn't do that is uh, Tony the Tiger. That's true. Tony embraced that, even though it's probably bullshit. That eating the cereal is gonna make you really good at hockey. Is gonna make you really good at frisbee. It's gonna be. It's gonna help you out athletically. Yeah, I've never even put that together. That that was a thing. Like I've never been a kid and thinking and been thinking like, oh man, before I before I play this basketball game, let me let me eat my fucking uh, frosted flakes. No, that's literally never been a thought that I have ever had in my entire life. I just think it's funny that in the cases of Lucky Charms and Tricks, their idea of marketing is let's make our target demo look like assholes for trying <laughs> to stop a cartoon from enjoying this cereal. It's like, dude, if a fucking cartoon, if a cool-ass cartoon came by and wanted to eat cereal with me, why would I say no? Let's get to talking about the Kendrick Lamar's latest video. Ah, yes, yes. For DNA, the first uh, musical track off uh, off Damn. Someone put up a a, a a fact of the music video, right? Mm. So, you know Don Cheadle. Yes, I do. 
Not who, personally, but sure. Who's rapping in the video. So apparently, the uh, in Rush Hour 2, which, which he was a character in. Oh, okay. He, he has like a sort of like Kung Fu, you know, Fu Manchu sort of suit on. Oh. And it's a similar suit that uh, Kung Fu Kenny wears in this video. Oh, shit. And apparently the name of the character from uh, Rush Hour 2 was named Kenny. Oh, shit. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) That is so cool. (laughs) I I wonder if that was intentional. (laughs) That has to be. It has to be. (laughs) I'd love if it wasn't. It's just a crazy coincidence. It's just so weird. Like that he would be like, hey. Is Don Cheadle doing anything right now? I've got a really good idea that requires him. No other celebrity could fit this. <laughs> Remember that sequel to that movie you did two, ten years ago? <laughs> Dude, I didn't see either of those. Oh, man, I love that shit. Of course, I, I was a big-ass fan of Jackie Chan, so, you know, I was just going to mm. watch anything that he was in. Sure. Dude, that Jackie Chan adventure show, I was fucking all about it. Oh, yeah, like, the, man. the uh, cartoon? Yeah, I was like, dude, I love Jackie Chan, but, you know, he, he only made a movie, like, once every other year. And then I was like, what? There's a TV show where I can watch him every goddamn week? Oh, my God. I forget who was talking about it. Some some YouTube video I was watching was talking about the live-action parts of those shows where Jackie would just kind of talk. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what's great about that is that, like, you knew that it wasn't actually Jackie Chan doing the voice of the cartoon character Jackie oh, Chan. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Because it's like, when you hear him at the end, he's just like, um, I can't understand a damn thing you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but on the show, he sounded, you know, you could, I mean, he had the accent, but you could hear exactly what he was saying, you know? And it was just like, I, I think they had to put like subtitles sometimes at the end. Because I was like, what is this dude saying? <laughs> was it just like him giving advice? Oh, like, it would just be like. Hey, Jackie, uh, what's your favorite food to eat or something like that? It, it would just be like random shit. And it would be like training or whatever. And he'd just be like, oh, I like this. Da, 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 da. I don't want to do the accent because that feels like it would be really bad. But <laughs> <laughs> You can look it up on YouTube if you really wanted to see it that bad. Hey, Jackie, do you play video games? I really love all kind of video. Okay, I play Tetris. People come to talk to me. I just keep playing. One day, I dream. My head, no fit in any home. I kill up. I take my video game away. It's bad. That reminds me of the uh, the Beatle movie, uh, Yellow Submarine, where it's going on, it's happening the whole time, and you know that the fucking Beatles aren't doing the voices of the cartoons, because why Oh my god, yeah, they? that's literally the same thing, yeah. But... <laughs> At the end of the movie, they pop up on screen for, like, a minute and a half. And and they just kind of riff. Like, it seems improvised. And they just kind of talk at the camera at you. And it's like, dudes, wh- what the fuck were you doing this whole time? Why couldn't you be in this movie? And it's like, dude, we already fucking made three of these goddamn things. You do all the work. We'll just chime in at the end and make a few corny jokes and bail and collect our checks. You know, I, I I will say this. At least for, like, the Jackie Chan show, at least it's, like, a show that you watch for free. Like, mm. if you're going to see a movie and, you know, that would be like if I'm like, oh, I'm going to see this movie with, uh, I, I don't know, uh, Ryan Reynolds. 
but like it's not actually Ryan Reynolds' voice the whole time. It's not actually him there. And it's just like, well, he did play a character named Deadpool, so this is the character of Deadpool that's on it. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, if I paid money and then you didn't actually give me fucking Ryan Reynolds, I would be pissed as fuck, you know? It's like if you filmed the movie in two parts where when he was out of the suit as just Wade, it was Ryan Reynolds, but whenever he was in the suit, he couldn't be bothered to record a voiceover. It was just a totally different voice, yeah. Because, I mean, it could be anybody in the suit, realistically. Anybody that, you know, is Ryan Reynolds-shaped. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. But see, what I think is so funny about the Beatles thing was, this was after they had a cartoon series also, where they didn't do the voices either. (laughs) So... These motherfuckers just couldn't be asked. (laughs) I, I I think it was like... They made the cartoon when they were super fucking busy and still touring and whatever, and it was really shitty animation and really low effort. So when it's time to make the movie, uh, the Beatles still had a bad taste in their mouth from the fucking TV show and were like, no, we're not going to fucking do anything with that. But then they saw the the, the, um, the finished product and liked the way it looked and thought, yeah, okay, I, I think that's worth a minute and a half of our time. Wait a minute, now I'm about to get mad. Wait, was the Jackson 5 TV show, did they also do that shit? Jack, I'm unaware of the Jackson 5 TV show. (laughs) There was a Jackson 5 TV show. Was it like a variety show? Uh, no, no, it was like, uh, as cartoons. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, I'm gonna guess it wasn't them, if I had to guess. No, it was the voices of the Jackson 5. Uh, Wow. Oh. What? No, Michael. Wait, though, hold right? on, hold on. Oh, you sons of bitches! Ah, you get all of them, but Michael, don't you? Ah, uh, no. Here's what it says. It says uh, voices of the Jackson Five and uh, Donald Fillalove as Michael, Edmund Silvers as Marlon. I was like, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> no. like these motherfuckers are saying, oh, see the voices of the Jackson Five, you know, singing the songs. Like, that doesn't fucking count, goddammit. Nah, yeah, that's cheating. (laughs) Although what's funny to me is there's a character named Diana, played by Diana Ross. So you motherfuckers can get Diana Ross, but you can't get the goddamn Jacksons. (laughs) Wow. That's what, all their budget went to getting (laughs) Diana Ross, and they they couldn't afford any of the Jacksons. Not even the lesser known ones. There's a bit on here about the laugh track on the Wikipedia page. It says, like most 1970s-era Saturday morning cartoon shows, the Jackson 5 contained an adult laugh track. Now, I... Why the fuck did they do this? Why the fuck did cartoons from the 70s... Why did so many of them have fucking laugh tracks? What was the point of that? Who were they trying to fool? Like, <laughs> were they honestly kids? Thinking like, oh yeah, there's a live audience watching this animation happening. Like, cause I don't remember ever believing that shit for a second. But I just have to imagine like the the person doing that, right? The person like who has to edit it in, cause someone has to do this. You know, it doesn't just come out. Someone has to go, hey, put a laugh track in it, and someone has to look at them and go, okay. <laughs> and tell someone else to do it. And that person just has to sit there, like, you know, at first they just get the, they get the cue that they have to do it, and they're like, all right, put a little laugh track in it. And then as they're editing it, they're just going like, why the fuck am I doing this? <laughs> what am I doing like, with my life and time? Yeah, like, why am I putting fake laugh tracks on a pre-planned animated show? 
What is the point of doing this? The only one that makes sense and the only one that I'll accept is the Flintstones. And that's because the Flintstones was supposed to be a cartoon parody of the Honeymooners. Oh, so wait, wait. So do you think they were all copying that idea just because like, oh, cartoon with Loud Track and not picking up on the fact that it was supposed to be a parody of the original show? Yeah, because in most cases, those were Hanna-Barbera cartoons, like uh, I think the Jetsons might have had a laugh track. I honestly don't remember if it did or didn't. I'm all, I'm 99% sure that Scooby-Doo had a laugh track. Oh, yeah. No, it totally did. Okay. And that so, one yeah, didn't it was make mainly Hanna-Barbera ones. Yeah, and that one didn't make sense because it's like, it's not even supposed to be the formula of like the Honeymooners type show. So why are you doing this? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, kids are extremely easily entertained anyway. Normally, the point of a laugh track is to let the viewer know when the joke is. So yeah, they yeah. know when to laugh. Kids are going to laugh at any goddamn thing. You don't need to tell them when to laugh. They'll laugh at shit that isn't even funny. Or wasn't supposed to be funny. Or maybe maybe the idea is to, like, to, to get them used to it at a young age. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, perhaps... Like, Get used to the idea that other people are laughing. You're supposed to be laughing. Ah! Get used to the idea of people insulting your intelligence. <laughs> but but here, here's what's funny. Listen to this. Rankin-Bass experimented with creating their own laugh track, a practice Hanna-Barbera had implemented in 1971. What do you mean experimented with creating their own laugh track? Just hire people to laugh at something. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> This was done to avoid paying large fees to Charlie Douglas, who edited laugh tracks onto the majority of network television shows at the time. Did he have a fucking patent on laughing at television shows? Like, what? Oh, weird. <laughs> you can't just get other people laughing? Did he, like, copyright that idea or something? See, when you said experimenting with the idea, the only thing that came to mind was maybe if you have, like, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon like Wacky Racers or whatever, you have the laugh track made up of a compilation of people who do voices on the show laughing as the characters. So it's like the only people that would be watching it are the people in that universe. Uh -huh. y you know what I mean? Like yeah. that or if it's just and I know this was already kind of done with uh, someone edited um, Ricky Gervais laughing, uh, doing the laugh track for uh, Big Bang Theory. But I just like the idea of a show where the laugh track is just one guy going. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one guy the whole time. <laughs> this week on the Going Off Podcast, we are reviewing Damn by Kendrick Lamar because of course we are. What'd you think of this album? Uh, I feel like this is going to be a pretty easy discussion, but <laughs> let's just for the fucking sake of it, let's just humor the audience. Yeah. Let's pad this podcast because people are saying the episodes are getting too short. Let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> so, f going into this album, I was thinking, what's my boy going to do after after the Purple Butterfly? Like, where do you go? And when I first listened to this, it was really late at night and I was kind of sleepy. <laughs> So, first listening to it, I was like, oh man, this isn't really that, like, special, you know, like, whatever. Uh, but then when I woke up the next morning and listened to it, like, I realized what he was doing. And this album doesn't 
pop like to pimp a butterfly does um it's a lot more like quiet and and downstated uh for the most part except for fucking the beat switch on fucking dna jesus christ (laughs) like it happens in such a way that like you just get uneasy for a second and you're like wait what's happening oh give me some ganja when the, when the fucking beat for DNA starts after the Fox News sample or whatever that was from in the first track, it's like, oh shit, okay, here's <laughs> yeah. what we're fucking in for. This is uh, this is going full force. It was kind of like how I felt listening to uh, Run the Jewels, where it was like, this is gonna be an intense listen. That's cool. To Pimp a Butterfly was more outwardly looking. Uh, this one is a lot more inward looking. It's actually a struggle it seems for him to like remain humble, which is funny because that's the lead single. <laughs> um, and the album is about him, you know, getting richer and more famous and, you know, and, and it's kind of genius actually, because, you know, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly was like the really big, oh my God, this guy's gonna be a mainstay in the game. He's a genius. What's he gonna do? All our eyes are on Kendrick. You know what I mean? And this is his reaction to that saying like, I'm trying so hard to not be an asshole, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm a talented motherfucker and I'm doing well and I'm getting rich. So fuck you guys. Yeah, I'm getting this money, but oh my God, this is what's, this is the type of shit that makes you lose your soul because you know, you forget where you come from and you know, you, you kind of forget who you are and you need something to humble you. And what's funny is that like, like all throughout the album, you know, it's funny. On the lead single, when you just hear the song by itself, it sounds like he's talking to somebody, right? The bitch, be humble, sit down. But then when you hear all throughout the album where he's like struggling with like, it's hard for me to be humble when I know that I'm great or, you know, I'm trying to stay humble and not lose my way. It's like, oh, he's talking to himself on that chorus. Like all that bragging he's doing and the chorus is the antithesis of that saying, bitch, sit down, (laughs) be humble. Um, and so I thought that was genius going, going through because like it, it happens when you, when you listen to this album, like the beat switches happen a lot more often, but there's a reason behind it. And that reason is like, there's a song where he'll be trying to be, uh, uh, you know, relaxed and be more intelligent because he realizes who he is as as uh, someone in the industry who's trying to give like a message you know like i know that i'm the person that you look towards for for more intelligent hip-hop but then it slices and it goes to the other half where he's like fuck that if someone fucks with my family i'm goddamn killing them <laughs> you know so it's like him having to deal with like the switching between like dealing with those emotions you know what i mean and that's what i thought was really smart about this album it is him dealing with uh, the intellectual versus the visceral. You know what I mean? Uh, in fact, the same thing happens on, uh, I think it's God, where he's like, oh, for, okay, the choruses, dude, homeboy stepped his chorus game up. Like, oh my God. <laughs> when you hear that fucking joint, God, uh, what does he say? He says, um, this what God feel like. Yeah, laughing to the bank like, ah, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, dude, this shit's gonna fucking turn up in the club. <laughs> dude, you have no idea all week, just been like, randomly, ah, uh-huh. <laughs> Like, 
Nobody laughs like that. <laughs> yeah, dude, I want you only laugh like, like that when you want someone to be hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Are you, are you feeling some type of way? Uh-huh. <laughs> dude, I, I wanted to comment um, how you were saying how it's like basically talking to himself, telling himself to be humble and everything. It's so great that, man, Drake tried this. And he didn't mm. do it as well as Kendrick did, but that could really be applied to any number of Drake efforts. But what I'm referring to specifically <laughs> is when um, when Drake released that one single, whose name I don't even remember right now, where Marvin's he was... Room? What's that? Marvin's Room? No, not Marvin's Room. More, uh, more recently, where he's like, uh, all summer 16, all summer 16 all dirty, not clean, or whatever. And he was basically talking about how his album was gonna, like, dominate the radio all summer. And that was, like, the teaser single that wasn't on the album. Um, it was like, okay, okay, whatever. Like I said, I don't even remember what that song was called. But with The Heart Part 4, the non-album single that Kendrick released before, uh, before this album, he even has a part in that song where he goes... Yelling one two three four five. I'm the greatest rapper alive. So damn great, motherfucker. I've died. And then you come to this where he's like, "Bitch, be humble." It's like, it's such a great setup for the <laughs> message of the album because it's so reactionary. It's great. Yeah. Or and he actually brings it up again. He says like, "I'm Mister One Two Three Four Five. Yeah. Like, I am the top five, motherfucker. <laughs> in fact, you see these five personalities that I've made up? Yeah, they're all in those spots, bitch. <laughs> Cornrow Kitty, Kung Fu Kitty, Kendrick Lamar, K-Dot, whoever else the motherfucker is, that's all five spots, bitch. <laughs> Kung Fu Kenny, another world premiere. <laughs> what is Kung Fu Kitty? I don't Where know, the whole time from? I was like, what the hell's happening? Yeah, I was like, wait, has anyone called him that before? <laughs> was that a thing? I like how that kind of became this album's, um, um, I saw, I noticed you were conflicted or whatever. Yeah. It was like, it was that constant, that one, just a yelling voice. And they have, no, Kid Capri, the legendary fucking Kid Capri, the DJ. You know, the dude from, put it on, Big L, put it on. Yeah. yeah to put it on. They got him to come in with that fucking iconic yell, Kung Fu Kenny. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? Why is he Kung Fu Kenny? <laughs> it's like, doesn't matter. It sounds cool. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's what one of the fucking videos is going to be. The story of Kung Fu Kenny. <laughs> um... But yeah, so you know, oh, oh, was it was it on uh, DNA where that beat switch happened? Where he's like, uh, "Niggas thought they wasn't gonna see me, huh?" <laughs> what was that one? Oh shit, was that? Uh... Oh, oh, uh, that was Element. Element, yeah, 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 yeah. So like, you know, uh, he has that one. Once again, the chorus game strong with this one. Uh, he says, "If I got a slab of pussy ass nigga, I'm gonna make it look sexy." <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit." <laughs> And he says, uh, uh, but you know, he's, he's on this chill shit, you know, the whole time. Then that third verse, he's like, niggas thought they wouldn't go see me, huh? Niggas thought the K-Dot real life was the same life they see on TV, huh? And he switched that fucking juvenile flow so fucking tight. Like, oh my God, dude, this man is out of this goddamn world. Um, 
and then he switches back. He's like, last the last LP, I tried to uplift black artists, but it's the difference between black artists and whack artists. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're gonna do some dividing, motherfucker. <laughs> we're about to figure out who's real, <laughs> who bought this shit. <laughs> there was a lot of, like you said before, how To Pimp a Butterfly was commentary on what was going on around him. This one was more more inside, like how I'm reacting to it. What I thought was really funny too was how in To Pimp a Butterfly it was it was kind of vague talking about the outside stimulus, but mm-hmm. on this album he straight up uh, what was that one part where he's talking about uh uh we woke up we we woke up the next morning hoping the election wasn't real and some shit. Oh yeah. And they're just like uh uh now we got Donald Trump and we're never gonna uh, doubt Obama again, like all that shit. Where it was like, no, oh, yeah. I don't care. I'm, I'm saying specifically what I'm worried about. Like especially in fear, where it was like, oh my god, fear. I'm gonna be so maybe the best track. Fear might be, dude. I'm, not, I don't even fucking know. Like humble is extremely catchy. Like that beat is. I was humming that all week. The the beat is awesome, and just the chorus is great. DNA is so fucking right out of the gate forceful. Fear is probably the best on message. He comes in with that first... Like, all three verses are him, like, ten years apart from each other, right? One's when he's seven, one's when he's 17, and one's when he's 27. And, dude, those first two verses, like, personally, I related to so fucking hard. Like, the being a kid, and, and the way the repetition works, because... Like, you know, like, that's how a kid thinks. Like, they only think in terms of, like, what is happening to me? And, you know, growing up, he probably just felt threatened. Like, like, I I feel like I always have to think about what I might be doing wrong, right? And, you know, and so, like, maybe he's, like, a very, you know, very conscious of, like, you know, when somebody does something wrong to you. Like, when, if your parents you know, were abusive to you or, or, or ever did anything bad to you. That's what you remember over if they did good things to you, right? You know what I mean? Like, if they have a bad day or whatever and they take it out on you, like, that's all you remember. You remember that this person that is supposed to be taking care of you has treated you badly. And so, like, that that's verse was all of those moments just, like, flashing and flashing, just all those different times where he felt that he was threatened, right? And then you have the second verse talking about him interacting with the world and how basically the world treats him as, you know, an enemy. The world treats him as someone who's dispensable, someone who could be killed. Oh, my God. The way he said, um, what did he say? He said, uh, he said, um, God damn it. I can't find it. Uh, Well, basically where he's talking about how like, I feel like I might get killed if I try to help. I feel like I might get killed if I mind my own fucking business. I feel like I might be killed if I do this. And like, and the way he says it is as sort of like, sort of dead in a way that it's just like, I just accept that death might just be a part of my life. It could just happen at any moment. And I'm just numb to it now because I, that's just what happens when you're, you know, a black kid who's automatically assumed to be a threat in a threatening environment. You know what I mean? And I was like, that was just fucking genius. And that, that third verse, though, where he goes, like, he says, um, he's like, so, you know, when I reach this point 10 years after that, and, like, I'm actually, like, I have success, and I'm making lots of money, and things are going well for me, 
I'm really confused because for the last 20 years of my life, as I've showed you, everything has always been bad. Everything has always been my fault. Everything has always been, I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get pushed around. This is always going to happen. And now that things are going good, I'm like paranoid. Like, wait, when's the other shoe going to drop? When am I going to lose everything like Job in the Bible? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is God going to play a joke on me? Is that what's going to end up happening to me? You know? And so it's sort of like, oh, it's so, it's so genius how, how your fears become slowly embedded into your psyche and how they inform the way you act in the world. That honestly might end up being like w one of the most important songs from this whole goddamn album of uh, the way he dissects that. Uh, and, and then of course we have the intro. <laughs> the, uh, first of all, I like the, the sixties Baroque pop sort of beach boys thing that comes in randomly. <laughs> is it wickedness? Is it weakness? You descend. And, uh, well, I, you know, I want to ruin it. I, I just listen, let you listen to it. It comes in very early. Um, but yeah. And, and then, uh, the, the buzz in the yaw joint. Mm. Dude, you can't tell me that shit was so goddamn smooth. Dude, <laughs> I, I only, I only half disliked one track on this album. Okay. Which is it? Uh, I'm going to let you guess. Is it loyalty? Yeah. I fucking knew it. <laughs> That's my least favorite one, too, honestly, for it's, real. It's not a bad song. It's just... No. It's really weak compared to the other ones. Yeah, yeah. It really felt like it was there because I feel like Rihanna and Kendrick maybe had, like, a bonding moment over something. And yeah. they were like, I need to have you on a track because we need to work out these demons together. <laughs> because later on he talks about how, like, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, wow, what if someone tries to screw me over like uh, Rihanna, uh, like like what happened to Rihanna with her lawyer? And she probably, like, heard that or something was like, dude, I feel you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, and I could totally see this being, like, the biggest hit from the album. <laughs> yeah. It, like, there's no way they're not going to release this as a joint. They've got fucking Rihanna on it. Like, you know it's going to happen. Uh, I will say Rihanna does come out, like as the better the more standout person here yeah because it's kendrick writing for her and like i've never felt that she has been more badass honestly than on listening to this song like the bitch better have my money felt like a fucking joke you know yeah th th that that was laughable unbelievable yeah it kind of felt like like a parody almost yeah but this sounded like real and the the way the wording and the way she, you know, I don't know, just fucking manipulated the words to make them work. It, it was just more real to me. But yeah, I, I, I totally feel you on it being the uh, one of the weaker joints on the album. Um, then we have. Uh, oh, wait, did I talk about the point earlier? Oh, yeah, I got so many theories. It's suspicious. I'm diagnosed with real nigga conditions. That's <laughs> <laughs> just, that's just the way he says, uh, just the fucking swag. He's like, my latest muse is my niece. She's worth living. She see me on TV and scream. That's Uncle, that's Uncle Kendrick. And then just a long pause, and then yeah, that's the business. <laughs> yeah, I love this. Such a long pause there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so cool. And he's like, I'm an Israelite. Don't call me black no more. 
that word is only a color. It ain't facts no more. <laughs> the way he said so little and how it meant so much. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. Then you have um, uh, feel. That, w- that was another great one. Uh, how it's like, you know, I'm trying to help the world with my music. That's what I was doing with my last album. And, and this is what was kind of like the crux of what this album was supposed to be. I'm trying to help the world, at least I feel like. And people are praising me as a savior, but like, you know, I'm still going through shit myself. Mm. And I feel like no one actually cares about me. They only want what, what, what I'm making can do for them, you know? I, I just know. I'm sorry, go ahead. Because there's a big part where he says, like, there's nobody praying for me. And he said, like, you know, both my grandmas died, so nobody's praying for me anymore. Mm. You know? So I, I was like, holy shit. I just noticed. Um, like, I know how it said, oh, uh, Rihanna and you 2 are the only two features. And it's true in that they're the only two that are credited. Um, mm-hmm. But there's plenty of other people that pop up on here. Um, one person oh, yeah. I wanted to mention was uh, Anna Wise, who appears oh, wow. on the track Pride, who worked with Kendrick before on uh, These Walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of just doing the uh, doing the refrain in uh, Pride. So yeah, you just got to look this up and see like who's who's appearing on these on the verses and what and whatnot. But yeah, they might just not get credited because they don't have their own parts and yeah, yeah. when we talk about people have their own parts i gotta briefly mention you two because there were so many people who were fucking flipping their shit over you two being listed as uh having a credit on this album and it was totally unwarranted a lot of people really jumped the gun on this one and just saw you two you uh, two was going to be on the album why and they had no idea to what extent uh what their involvement was going to be and uh, ultimately, I thought their uh, their performance in Triple uh, X, it it was perfect for them. It was mm-hmm. really it was downplayed. Um, they just kind of did this uh, this looped musical uh, the instrumentation in the background. Then they had their own little their little part uh, that, that got repeated. But they didn't fucking steal the show. You know, they didn't hijack the song. It fit. You know, like I, it, I don't know what people were expecting them to do on this. Oh my god, though! But in fact, wasn't this song like basically like three parts actually? Um, cause it it goes from yeah, it, it goes from, yeah, it goes from the slower joint, and then there's the second part which doesn't have you two in it at all. Yeah, cause he's like, I'll I'll chip away, they gonna put the blower in his lap, <laughs> and dude. When he gets to talking about, like, he was like, K-Doc, can you pray for me? It's been a fucked up day, to me, uh, day for me. I know that you're ado- anointed. Show me how to overcome. You know, he's like, he's talking about how he's going through something. And I'm like, and I'm over here as Kendrick, like, dude, fucking, I don't know what to fucking do. Yeah. <laughs> like, that shit happened to me. Yo, I'm killing somebody. Sorry. Like, <laughs> and then he goes, but then what's funny is that he ends it with, like, he's like, yeah, dude, if I was you, I'd fucking roll up on that motherfucker. I don't care if he's coming out of God damn church <laughs> like i'd blow that fucker's head off all right anyway i gotta go talk to some kids about gun safety <laughs> oh my god yeah that's great matter of fact i'm about to speak at this convention call you back all right kids we're gonna talk about gun control damn <laughs> the way that damn comes in i know it wasn't supposed to but it kind of made me laugh a little bit how it just came in there we're gonna talk about gun control pray for me damn <laughs> like 
I just pictured you just see Kendrick sitting in the front of a classroom in his chair, just like elbows on his knees, just, all right, kids, we're going to talk about gun control. And then it pans back, and fucking dude from Twilight Zone is just standing in the doorway looking at the camera. Damn. <laughs> like, can you believe oh. this shit? <laughs> oh, uh, and I want to talk about, a well, just, just the chorus of lust. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Like, blood rush, my favorite vein, hearts beating, race, racing like a junkie, and then the, the, just the, let me put the head in. <laughs> this man had me dying. <laughs> Ooh, I don't, I respect the cat, I promise just to die. <laughs> the way the voice just trembles. <laughs> like, it's so delicate. The part that had me... Was when he goes, um, if I could smoke fear away, I'd roll that motherfucker up. Then I'd take two puffs. <laughs> two puffs. Like that fucking, I laughed so hard at that. And then the, am I now? Am, am I, I now? now? <laughs> it was like slightly off time. Yeah. Am I now? <laughs> like, like, I've never smoked marijuana before. Is that how it happened? You're just like... I'm high now! <laughs> Boy! That like fucking just... life's a bitch, pull them panties to the side now. That's a great line. <laughs> no, uh, oh, and then we gotta talk about love. Yo, my boy Kendrick, mm. when they said he was trying to fucking take uh, Drake's spot. He did. <laughs> remember before song. remember before when i said all of drake's short shortcomings fucking kendrick excels here's another one add it to the list dude oh my god when he has that one he had that one lyric where he said keep it 100 i'd rather i'd rather you trust me than love me oh, yeah. i was like oh shit love like respect like I would rather you trust me than love me mm. that that that's just a big fucking line you know what i mean oh yeah like I'd rather have you be able to believe me than the and sacrifice my my relationship with you. You know, it's like holy shit. You know, that that, that reminds me. Uh, we only talked about it briefly before the uh, the DNA uh, video, but there was one part I laughed at um, because the line reminded me where it says, um, "I'd rather die than listen to you," and it shows mm. on like this Danny Brown style VHS tape, uh, Kendrick in an open casket. And someone just kind of leans into the casket and whispers into his ear. And his eyes just open up and look at him like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like, bitch, I'm dead. I died Do so I mind? wouldn't have to listen to your ass. <laughs> just the subtlety of that because it happens so quick. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker, don't you know I'm dead? The fucking choreography on that, by the way, with him and Cheadle was so well done. If that doesn't fucking win some, like, awards for a music video... Like, I was I was gonna say MTV, but fuck MTV. Who the fuck cares what, what <laughs> awards they give out? But shit, seriously. Either some type of Grammy or something for, like, a hip-hop music video or something. This was so good. But then again, this is only the second one to come out from the album, so who knows? They, they were fucking coming out with music videos for uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, like, a year after that album came out. Yeah. The out uh, the videos for uh these walls. Yeah, that came out like so late. I was like, wait, oh, oh, that's from that album? Yeah, I kinda forgot. <laughs> I, I kinda, there was another one. Yeah, I just assumed he wasn't even going to, but I was like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> well, was that the one with that weird part where it was like him and uh, Terry Crews? Yeah, it was like a com. It like it turned into a comedy video in the middle of it. It's like, yo, let me tell you what happened. I was like, what the fuck is this? He was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I like the the God is Gangster video the most. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that had my favorite song in it. The Eye. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, the fucking yeah. The way that was filmed and directed was yeah. really good. And I remember at the time when we reviewed it, I didn't care for that song so much. Um, but. I mean, obviously, it grew on me eventually, but in the video form, it, it's so much more powerful because I still stand by my belief that when you listen to the song and there's the little, like, beer bottle, like, sounds, <laughs> th th yeah. that cheapens it a little bit, but... Oh, I think it's great. I, I think it makes it so much more alive because you don't expect it. That's Just true. Like like, every time you listen to it, you you're never 100% sure when it's going to happen. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, shit, there it is. <laughs> but yeah, I, th I thought it worked better in the uh, in the video. Yeah, I'm really hoping there's just like a bigger story that that comes from all this. I want to know what happened with the weird, reckless driving women. I want to know what happens with Don <laughs> Cheadle. Uh, I just want to see more about what all that was even supposed to be about because there's so many open questions. Yeah, like what does his soul go into Ken, uh, go into Don Cheadle? Like what's happening? Yeah, it was so fucking weird. I was not expecting <laughs> that shit. Or, uh, oh, oh, we haven't even talked about Duckworth. No, we didn't. So that, I, I'm not really sure if it, like, brings the album together necessarily, but it is a cool way to end it. Yeah. It, it's just a long story about how the, like, the executive producer on the Top Dog label, how apparently, like, 25 years ago, he could have killed Kendrick's dad, mm. but didn't. Because, like, his dad was like, oh, you guys get free chicken at the KFC. <laughs> yeah. And, like, if it weren't for my dad being smart and doing that, like, we wouldn't have been getting this money now. <laughs> and he would have been fucking rotting in jail, and I would have not had a dad for the rest of my life. Just think of, like, you know, little things like that and how that can change the course of someone's entire life. It's just like, wow, that's really weird. <laughs> This album was obviously, I know we talked about it uh, when we were talking about when people were asking him if it was going to be like To Pimp a Butterfly, and he was like, no, why would it be? Yeah, this <laughs> is a very, very, very different album than To Pimp a Butterfly, but in every way, it's just as much of a five. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, especially when I first listened to it when I was sleepy, I was I was kind of thinking like, oh, man, this isn't going to be as good. Like, that sucks. I really wanted him to, you know, like very few artists. I was talking to someone and they said like very few artists get the three in a row, you know? Mm, yeah. And and as I was listening to this, I was kind of feeling like it was going to be like that. But then as soon as I like woke up and listened to it, I was like, oh, oh, you woke oh. up. <laughs> yeah. I, I got woke. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. So, yeah, I was feeling this shit. And here's the really funny thing. I, I'm going to let you guys in on how I do my rating system, if you don't know by now. <laughs> right. I, I, I rate each individual song. You know, I don't plan this out. I rate it each individual song. And then I divide it by the number of tracks that were, like, actual songs, right? And that's how I get my... Uh, that's how I get my final verdict for, 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 you know, my rating. You know, I figure it's the most fair way to do it for me. Mm -hmm. I did it with this song and like, 
all of the songs added up and divided, uh, which e- equaled up to like 65 with all the star ratings put together, divided by 13, and it equaled exactly five. Look at you. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly five. I was like, oh, well then. <laughs> this, this is the most five album to ever five. <laughs> yeah, it's literally a perfect five. So I was like, well, shit, all right. <laughs> the Cosmo's trying to tell me something. No need to waffle with this one. <laughs> no, this is a legit good album. Cornrow Kenny has done it again. <laughs> Kung Fu Kenny knocked it out the park. Kung Fu Kenny! <laughs> what? It's like, okay. Can't take it with you! <laughs> what did he say? You can't take nothing on this earth with you! This, I'm trying to think if this album was more exciting than Tempempa Butterfly was. I I, I feel like Tempempa Butterfly was more exciting because, especially with the ending to Tempempa Butterfly. Oh, yeah. Like, nothing's ever going to match that. (laughs) That was fucking insanity. Uh, And and with how the the poem sort of came together, uh, the fucking freeform track two. Uh, for free. Oh my like, god. Yeah, I still love you know for free. I mean? Like, that that album popped in a much bigger way. This one is doing something a lot more... I, I don't necessarily want to say down-tempo, but something a lot more mechanically beautiful, in a way. I was even dancing with the idea of somehow rating it like a six. <laughs> like... <laughs> I know they've done that recently, a dude who reviews... um like the quality of wrestling matches he only has like a scale of five and he's been doing it for decades but recently there was a match either earlier this year or late last year where he was like you know what fuck it this is getting a six <laughs> but yeah. like I, but then i was wondering i was like is it better than to pimp a butterfly though or is it you know like i don't want to make it seem like this is worth the time more than the other one because like i said before they're both really good and they're, vo- they're both very different. They're just both really good in different ways. Like, they both have yeah. qualities that, you know, the other one might not have. Like like I said before, the other one has the jazz and funk music that this one doesn't. But This one has, like, the more Baroque mixed with, like, metallic sort of modern hip-hop, you know? Yeah, and it just gets way more personal. So it's like, I think they're both great and both worth checking out. Like, listen to them back-to-back even. Yeah, totally. As for, I, I, for a complete experience. I kind of want to do that right now. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. So I, you know, and it makes me really happy to like to be able to tell people that an album is this good. Like I feel really good doing that because I feel like when I feel when I feel that I can say that I feel like I I I I feel like I get to know right now what it feels like to be back in the day when the classic albums that we hail as classic now. Uh, came out back then, like when when the first person ha- heard fucking Illmatic and was like, "Oh my god, this is goddamn incredible!" <laughs> like you know, and back then they're like, "I don't know if this is gonna last, but I know that this is fucking incredible right now." You know, fucking hearing Into the Wu Tang Clan for the first time, like in that year when it came out, like I get that feeling when I hear something that's this good, you know. And so it's just, it, like. As much as people think that re- being a reviewer is like tearing down the stuff that's bad, 
it really is like holding up the stuff that's really good and being like, oh my God, I found the fucking gems that we're going to remember. And I hope this is remembered because it really is worth it. It's great tracks. Oh man, go worth your money. I swear to God, it is worth your money. If you come out this album and you're saying, nah, that's not worth it. I, I really don't know what common ground we have to be on in order to consider something good because... This man put his heart into it, so, you know, respect for that. I know no one's listening wondering, hmm, Kendrick, I don't know. I'm going to check out the Going Off podcast and see what they have to say. <laughs> but every so often we do review an album that isn't as well known or people may not have heard of, and we give it a really good review, like uh, like in the case of Samus or Open Mike Eagle or, you know, uh, some of the people we know more personally. Like, that, when people comment and be like, dude, I never would have heard this album if it wasn't for the show. Thanks a lot for the recommendation or whatever. Like, that's great. Like, we're actually passing off what could be someone's favorite album. Like, when we had Rav on last week, I was getting comments of people like, dude, thank you so much for turning me on to uh, Beneath the Toxic Jungle. It's like, yeah, no problem. That's fucking great. Like, there's people who listen to our show who never would have heard that album if we didn't fucking review it. That's great. That's a great feeling. That about does it for this week's episode of the Going Off Podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out. If this is your first time checking us out, all of our old episodes are on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can download them individually on SoundCloud, or to make things easier, you can just subscribe to the show on iTunes and get them whenever they go up. That's way easier, trust me. I'll put the link in the description if you're checking us out on uh, YouTube. Oh, most of the episodes are on YouTube, by the way, except for the ones that were taken down for bullshit copyright reasons. Also, if you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, our links are on the screen there as well. If you want to help us out on Patreon, that always helps, especially when YouTube is really starting to fuck people over on the monetization. Now is oh certainly a great time to consider helping us out on that old Patreon. And <laughs> for the Going Off podcast, until next week, I'm Muse. And I'm the Rap Critic. And for God's sakes, man, if there is a good artist out there making good music, fucking pay for it. <laughs>